In this podcast, we're talking with Veronica Grigg, President Asia Crawford and Company, the largest independent provider of claims management and outsourcing solutions operating in more than 70 countries worldwide. Veronica's work has taken her from Australia, Europe, throughout the UK to New York and Southeast Asia, from consulting to global leadership. We'll discuss how she manages a demanding career with her personal life and her approach to business reinvention in a world of rapidly changing customer expectations. Because let's face it, it's getting harder and harder to keep up. We'll also discuss what she's learned from living in Southeast Asia that she wants us all to know about that's shaped her own personal life journey and some of her top learnings over her career that I know will inspire you in your own personal and professional journey of life. Sharing a story So much for joining me today. Hi, Michelle, and wonderful to be uh, here with you today. And I note that our time zones are completely reversed, so evening for you, morning for me. But such a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, you know, I think when you've got a lifestyle like ours, and you're dealing, you know, across regions uh, globally. It all kind of runs into one another, doesn't it? I know that it does for me. Anyway, I'm really glad that you're here today. Before we get started, I thought that I'd like you to introduce yourself to everyone here and, you know, just a little bit about yourself and uh, your background. And I really think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to talk to people about how and where you grew up. I'd love to. I'd love to. So um, I'm living in in Singapore in Southeast Asia at the moment, but it's far, far away from where and how I grew up. So I grew up in Australia, as you can you can probably hear from the accent. <laughs> uh, grew up in Australia in country New South Wales. So it's the east coast of Australia, about uh, four hours drive from uh, the largest uh, city that was nearby. Beautiful, beautiful childhood. So, um, you know, a cattle property, large property, uh, sheep before I was born and then cattle. So multi-generational farming family and, you know, totally idyllic. I mean, not without, you know, natural hazards and all the things that um, farmers and property owners know about, but a really beautiful place to grow up. That's so great. Um, you and I were talking about that, Veronica, and you were discussing how, that really has helped shape you as a leader, you know, just resilience and just the way that you are. Can you just share a little bit about that? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, Michelle, I think there's maybe something that a lot of people listening today will have in common. Um, you know, certainly when I grew up, there wasn't the technology that's available today. So uh, marry that against a backdrop that's more remote you know, an Australian uh, rural setting where the nearest country town is a drive away, let alone a city. So I was already quite old before I had seen the ocean, uh, before I'd seen the sea. Uh, so I think, you know, growing up um, on the land, 
without technology and without the, uh, you know, the, the consumerism that I think that exists today, and I certainly see that with my own child, how he's grown up and all of the toys and the things that are available, we had to make our own. So it really was, you know, a case of using, you know, your ingenuity, your imagination, uh, your creativity, just to entertain yourself. Uh, and this included having a wide variety of pets, um, whether they're traditional pets or not, you know, but anything that would wander through the farm that became parentless or an orphan was suddenly my pet. <laughs> so, you know, so all of those things, I think, shape you. You can entertain yourself. You can get yourself out of trouble. I think you have an inbuilt risk management system, which has been useful for a career in insurance. But I think, you know, all of that does definitely shape you and how you are and how you would look forward to social interactions because you're on your own or with your family for such long periods of time. That's just a great perspective. Um, you know, you just mentioned claims management. Can you help people just understand for those that are listening at the heart of it, what is it that Crawford & Company offers and what is it that you do? So... Crawford is a claims services company. So, you know, put simply, if you've got an insurance policy as an individual or a business um, and, you know, something goes wrong, the worst thing that happens and you need to make a claim, that's what we're here to support you through. So it really is where insurance comes into action. So it's all about the promise of you being insured and then we take care of you through that process. So working with either your broker or working with your insurance company to make sure, you know, you get the experience that you think and hope that, you know, you've you've um, entered into when you sign that policy document. So that's what we do at Crawford. So we like to say we restore the lives of individuals and communities uh, and really make a difference when it counts. That's great. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay, so I'm going to get to a question that I know everyone wants to know. Um, you are a president of Southeast Asia. You know, we all just came through. I mean, it, it seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't the pandemic and then, you know, all of the repercussions of that. So, you know, now here we are almost mid-year in 2023. What is it that you as a leader, you know, what is your top priority and I'd also like to think about, you know, kind of top priorities as you think about your business, your people. Mm. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to, to talk to us a little bit about, you know, what are the top, what are like the big challenges that you see ahead for business? Mm. There's, a lot, there's, a lot in, there's a lot in that. So yeah. if, we, if we start with the, the geography that I'm responsible for. Mm. So Asia is a series of countries, you know, it's it's not um, a continent as it were. So if you look at the extremes of where, uh, you know, my leadership sits, it's from Japan in the north, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Thailand, Philippines, um, Malaysia, um, Indonesia, Guam, you know, which is, you know, having a typhoon uh, category four as we speak now. Mm. So it's a, India, it's a really diverse region. So when you have a look at the 10 or more countries that um, I'm responsible for Crawford, it means thousands of claims every day. Mm. And I think that the, the challenge for me, I joined three years ago at the start of the pandemic and I've had a long career in insurance. So working across the value chain. So from being, uh, you know, 
and underwriter in a carrier through to distribution, through to running businesses for an insurance company, through to a Lloyd syndicate, um, which is very specialist, uh, you know, with, with global responsibilities. But I love Asia and this is where I found myself. Asia Pacific is really, you know, I think it's my home territory. Mm-hmm. And I joined Crawford three years ago because it was an opportunity for me to complete the value chain. So to really be at the sharp end of claims. And it was right when the pandemic was starting. So in the last three years, I haven't actually met all of my leadership team. Mm. And I don't think people realise, I mean, I think we all did it really tough during COVID. I think it was just so much. We really dug deep. We learned about ourselves. Um, We maybe reprioritised things in our life. And I think that was no different to here. I mean, some some of us, you know, had months on end where we really couldn't leave our countries. Mm. And, you know, it's seen a, you know, a number of um, actions and, you know, I think phenomena since COVID, particularly in Asia, but it's it's no different to the great resignation. It's no different to um, the move towards rural areas because people can take jobs outside of cities. And I'm sure you've seen that in the US as well and around the world. So we've had that. But for me, joining three years ago, um, a new team, and I, I only met everyone last week in Taipei. So I had a face-to-face leadership meeting. All uh, 10 of the country CEOs came in. Uh, Their direct, you know, number two joined as well. And obviously the important um, support functions came. So it was fantastic to have this time together because I got to see people in person. And it was really like, oh, my God, you've got legs. (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking at you through this screen, you know, down a camera lens. And, you know, I think, you know, my priority is just to connect. You know, I really think it is to, to learn about people, to observe and watch them, have a cup of coffee with them, find out what's important to them. Because we learned we can work. We absolutely learned we can work through COVID. We learned we can rely on people. We learned we could do things remotely. We learned that we were innovative and creative. But you know what? I didn't learn anything much about my people Mm. uh, just through the face-to-face. So for me, that was invaluable. And I really had a proud moment last week because, you know, it's a new team. In three years, we've formed, you know, and this was the proof, me seeing it in the room. So I really thought, you know, yeah, we've done well as a group to, to achieve this here. So... I think that's what I'm focused on. So, you know, post-COVID, it's connection, it's getting back out to see clients face-to-face. I think it's dealing with the reservation we all have. I mean, it was quite nice building a life working from home. You know, it was it was quite nice having this option, you know, where I could reprioritise my day, I could use my time most effectively. I mean, I'm an extremely efficient work-from-home operator, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's just part of the dynamic, isn't it? And I think, you know, this connection and really spending time with people and customers, I think that's really my focus. You know, I'd like to have a follow-up on that if we could, because what I see is a lot of leaders that are really struggling, Veronica, with with that, with people that are saying, but I was really effective at home and I really don't want to come back in. And you've got, you know, this dynamic and it seems like there's us, there's a, a, not everyone feels this way, but a, a lot of people 
that I would venture to say it, it kind of teeters on the majority that says, but it's okay, and I was completely effective. But then I've got leaders who are saying, but there's that collaboration and there's the teamwork and the innovation. And, you know, like there's just a dynamic that happens. So as a leader, how do you get a team motivated? Well, first of all, how are you guys working? And then how do you get them motivated to, you know, if you're in or out of an office, if you're in even hybrid, like talk to me about what's going on there and what's going on in Southeast Asia and, you know, how you get people that, you know, understand why it's not because you want to just, you know, check the box off that they were working, you know, they are, but, but yeah. really, you know, what, yeah. how, you, how you get them there. And I think it's, it's, it really does depend on roles too, the role you have and how you, you operate and where your role fits in. So for me, I'm a, you know, I'm a regional president. So my uh, span of flying, just to give some perspective, is six hours, seven hours to Japan, six, seven hours to Australia, to Sydney, um, Philippines around four hours, uh, India about the same. So if you can imagine the radius of all that flying with all those offices, mm. I'm never going to be face-to-face at any one time. So, and I have a particular perspective. I have um, a CEO for Singapore and and he's great, you know, so I like to give him his space because if I'm in the office, people will defer to me. So, you know, and I always joke, I say to him, you know, it's like having your mother-in-law around. So I make sure I give him his space and his time. So, look, I think we have demonstrated, you know, the very traditional way, you know, I, I grew up working and, you know, I worked at one of the largest um, professional services firms as well as in insurance. And, you know, my partner there used to say to me, unless I can see them working or I know that they're down at a client with chargeable time, I know nothing's happening. And I think we've broken that mould of thinking, right, you know, and we've fast-tracked the use of technology. I mean, look at us today. You're in in New York City. No. We're at opposite ends of the time scale and, you know, we're having a great conversation. I think we've shown we can do all of that. So it just, for me, I think speeds up the productivity, the efficiency. I think that's some of the advantages. What I found during COVID is my eyesight started to suffer because I'm doing more screen work. Mm. Um, and don't mention age, but, you know, I did I did <laughs> start to see the changes coming in because I'm at the screen all the time. What I find I was missing is the downtime. You know, get up, go and have a cup of coffee with someone, change the environment where we were working. You know, you might be in a large meeting room, you might be in an office, you might walk out to a client interaction. So I found my days were certainly productive at home, but maybe not as fulfilling. I know that's a, you know, you can find your energy however you want to. I think we all get very that particularly being women. But, you know, I think there's a there's a piece I missed the... I missed some of the downtime, you know, just being able to take 10 minutes to walk to the restroom, to take, you know, 15 minutes to go uh, and walk to a client. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that the last three years. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I love the technology as well. But like you just mentioned, I'm I'm here in New York and 
oh my God, I think I had seven hours of Zoom meetings today. Like I'm not getting out, my back is sore. I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. It's just, it's very different, isn't it? Cause I'm like working remote right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Okay, so thank you for that perspective. I really appreciate it. I know that a lot of leaders struggle with it um, and they're trying to figure out, you know, just that balance. So I know that um, that your perspective is appreciated there. So tell me this, as you think about um, your clients, I've got to ask this question. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of your, you know, a lot of that work is face-to-face and during the pandemic, you know, it really wasn't. How have you found that your buyers, maybe their needs have changed how they want to interact and interface with you? Um, just what's evolving there and how have you all adapted to that if if any changes have happened at all? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's in the nature of our business as well. We have a volume-based business where we might outsource the entire claims function or for a portfolio for a large insurer. So we work seamlessly behind the insurer uh, to, to basically be their claims team. Then on the other hand, we have specialty, um, really highly technical specialist adjusters and claims professionals who work on one-off large losses. And during the pandemic, it was absolutely quite a benign period. I think in Asia, we had a couple of uh, typhoon, which is your hurricane. We had a couple of those, one in Malaysia, in the Philippines. But, you know, in terms of large losses, Mm -hmm. it really was a very quiet time for us. And I think that we saw reiterated around the world. You know, look at what happened with, you know, motor insurance, et cetera, Mm because people aren't out and about. So the number of instances are less of claims, right? So I think that the, the way we were operating changed and we had to pivot our business. Mm-hmm. So in Asia, we were very reliant on uh, this technical side of the loss adjusting continuum, right? And so suddenly, you know, we're in a benign environment, so there's not a lot happening. Uh, and we've got we've to keep the lights on, you know, and my focus was mm. absolutely to make sure that we weatherproof our business. And that's not a pun because actually most of ours is a catastrophe weather-related um, event, right? Yeah. So um, I really wanted to make sure that we could pivot our business and move towards the volume and the portfolio. And we managed to do that successfully, but you can't do that without technology. You can't do that without reskilling your people and, you know, having a different conversation with your customers. So it's then the challenge is, are you this or are you that or are you both? And the answer is we're both. But tell us what your servicing issues are Mm. so we can have the, you know, the right conversation. So I think, you know, the way we started looking at our business changed and uh, that carried through into the conversations. But, you know, what we noticed is a, a lot of customers didn't want to see us face-to-face, um, and, you know, and that was really the legacy of the pandemic. And I think it brought out all of our introverted tendencies, let's face it. You know, wow. and in Asia, we wore masks for pretty much three years. So, you know, um, a lot of our kids know team sport for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of the younger children have not learned to read facial expression cues because they've all had masks on uh, or face shields, you know. So we've seen, I think, the, the impacts in a number of ways um, that maybe we won't know for a while. So there is a new norm. I don't think we'll ever go back to how it was before. Uh, but I think you can you now have more flexibility to pick and choose how it will work for you. We have not mandated people going back to the office. Okay. Um, I like to let people work how work works for them. But, you know, what I'm most passionate about is let's just make sure we meet customer expectations. So, um, you know, and, and what I saw in Taiwan is the, the absolute power of connection. If we can get that right and we can get that chemistry right between teams, you know, you're unstoppable, aren't you? Hey, it's Michelle Seeger. I really hope that you're enjoying this podcast. And if you are, we would love for you to like and to subscribe to this uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast and, of course, on our YouTube channel. Also, if you know of any women in leadership who you think would be a great guest on Riding the Big Wheel, please connect with me and let me know. We're always looking for great guests to share their insight within uh, the community, and we would love to hear from you. Okay, I got to ask you a question. Have you actually only interfaced with someone with a mask and then... When you see them the first time without a mask, they look completely different. <laughs> yeah, totally. All my team, all my team the first little while. But on the screen, of course, you take your mask off. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, no. And then it's like all these, what I found is interesting, you know, because I think we all have stereotypes, right? We all yeah. have stereotypes. Yeah. And then, you know, I suppose we jump to conclusions. And my team are a lot taller than what I expected. <laughs> We were laughing about that. Oh, my word, you're all so tall. We were all <laughs> saying that to each other. So, I mean, you've got to find humour in the situation because, you, you know, do. there's certainly are awkward moments, right? Yes. And one of the things that we always say is, thank heavens we invested in dental plans. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, you know, we've been we've been refreshing what we do in our staff, medical, et cetera, and we were all saying, well, COVID and removing the mask towards <laughs> dental plans and opticals. So, so yes, yeah, so I think there's many, you know, in a lighthearted way we can look at, um, you know, the impact of COVID, but I think it really has shaped the way we'll work in the future. Mm. Yep, I, I believe that's right. Um, okay, so I got an interesting question for you. I was, when I was researching you, um, I found it came across an interview and you had said recently that you were passionate. At, now, first, let me back up and say, you've made it pretty clear that what you're doing in Singapore, that that's your home. You have found a great place for yourself um, and in your role. And you also had mentioned that you were very passionate that you are one of the last expatriates in Southeast Asia as a leader. And I would love for you to um, explain to us or talk to me a little bit about your philosophy around that and why, because uh, it's really interesting and I think a perspective that people would um, really benefit from hearing about. So when I, when I first started working in Asia, um, there was really the pull of having technical expertise. 
So, you know, bringing something to a geography or a region where you would train others and there would be this transfer of either technology or skills or, you know, um, mindset. And, you know, I think when I, I look at the, you know, difference, it's been 30 years, Michelle. I mean, that's, you know, how long I've been coming and working in Asia, 25, 30 years. And I look now at who I'm interacting with. Most of the, the people that I work with, they're actually educated in US universities. Um, and it might be a franchise of a US or Australian or British university here in Asia. So, you know, they speak two and three languages. Um, and, you know, I think we've got a lot of talent here. So what we have to do is to give opportunity to people from grassroots. You know, we've, we've proven that we can add value as international executives. But I think in the longer term, the best value, and it's not about whether, you know, I think you're moving to another country to work, but, you know, when you reflect back on your career, don't you want to say, look, I made a difference in helping to shape other people's careers and giving other people opportunity? That's the stuff I remember you know, so that's why I'm passionate about doing that. And so at Crawford, we have the Philippines run by a Filipino. We have uh, Japan by a Japanese gentlemen. So, you know, you work around the region and we are really promoting from within and we're giving people opportunity to work across Crawford on secondments and also, um, you know, with international assignments. And I think that's what's going to make the difference because you're getting experience from elsewhere, but, you know, you're really Indigenous and you do know, you do know your market and you're proud to be there. So it's a great combination. I think that's great. So one of the other things that I know is really important to you is the continuous upskilling of your people, Um and, you know, particularly in a more virtual environment, um, how do you ensure, I mean, you're, you're like the president, right? So you've got a lot of people there. How are you ensuring that people all, that they have the opportunity uh, to upskill, that you're paying attention to that career progression? Like, how do you drive that accountability through your leaders and your management team? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, Michelle, you know, there's got to be a fundamental acceptance that if we want results, we have to look after our people. And, you know, everyone's read the research, et cetera, but I think you have to fundamentally believe that. You can't just say, oh, well, we'll get another one. You know, it doesn't work like that. And, you know, these days with the skills of empathy, um, you know, our listening skills, the human touch, that's actually going to be more valuable in the longer term than the technical because we've all seen what AI can do. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to focus on people because they're our greatest asset. And one of the things that, um, you know, we did do during COVID was we have a, a group CEO at uh, Crawford, Rohit Verma, and he is absolutely uh, into continuous learning. Mm -hmm. um, it is light speed continuous learning. So, of course, during COVID, to keep us all, I think, mentally challenged, um, you know, he sponsored so many programs, you know, even down to business book club, um, leadership programs, etc. And then for me in Asia, because I remember backdrop, pivoting my business, oh, I'm a new CEO coming in 10 countries, I've got to get the culture aligned to, you know, what I know is going to drive us 
to be better in the market. So the best way to do that is to invest in training for people. So, you know, and people like to do things in different ways. So for us, because at the end of the day, we are a firm, um, it's about creating value in skill sets that we can market. And if we can market the skill sets, the individual by going up the ladders of accreditation also has better you know, career advancement, you know, the salary improves and so forth. So it's a win-win. So I think there's many ways. Technical skill training, um, you know, we've just won for the second year in a, in a row the Singapore um, Business uh, Review Award for uh, best in class in that space. So, you know, we're excited about that. Um, so it's about the technical training, but it's also the soft skill training. The other thing I wanted to invest in people understanding is actually what is the business we're in at Crawford? Because people say claims like we started off, but, you know, it's a really exciting industry, you know, insurance as a whole. And there's not a thing that can be manufactured, built, um, driven or a decision these days that can be taken that doesn't have some insurance that's wrapped around it. So helping our people to understand what we do and giving them the broader love of something, you know, clearly I'm passionate about, but, uh, you know, making it approachable and easy for people. So that's what we've tried to do. We also in Asia um, have a lot of different languages and, you know, I think sometimes there's a bit of an arrogance that, sure, everyone speaks business English, but it's more powerful to give people in China or in Japan uh, translated, Thailand translated um, training. So we try to focus on that as well. So it's delivered in, you know, different ways, um, different ways to really try and, you know, capture the attention, the imagination, and also then give reward for that, that completion of training. I think that's great. So let me ask you something about the uh, the human side of, you know, of business. And how do you, um, how, can people learn to be better listeners? Can people learn to be more empathetic? Um, and, and what have you seen and, and how do you think, um, how does it work? Some people yeah. say it's personality, right? But what do you think? Yeah, there's, I think there's always some traits that are harder to learn than others, mm -hmm. really much harder to learn than others. Empathy is, is one of those. Mm. Uh, empathy and listening, I think, are two different skill sets. Um, listening mechanisms, I think you can train. Um, but like anything, it's going to be a combination of the practical and the theoretical. But at the end of the day, I think with everything, we're humans, it comes down to role modelling. So, you know, if you can observe and work with different styles of people in your career, you soon learn who's more effective and then you can break down why if, you, if you're analytical. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think some skills more challenging. You know, often in my career I've had conversations around um, decision-making. How can we train people to have better decisions? And I'm thinking if it was only that easy because there's two halves to decision-making, right? Yep. One is the analysis uh, and doing, you know, the, the due diligence, as it were, or, you know, just getting the lay of the land. And then the other side is the judgment. Now, can you train judgment? 
you know. It's, um, I think, time trains judgment. As we get older, we realise, oh, why did I do that? But <laughs> I think there's experience in that, you know, and then there's, you know, how you use the analysis. So I think, you know, it's always an interesting concept. But look, at, at the end of the day, if people want to do better and they want to see better results, they will continuously crave feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you are craving feedback and you're open to it, and you're open to trying different things, you know, which is a little bit risky, right? If you try things a different way, will you get a different or better outcome or even just a different experience? You know, maybe that'll shape you wanting to do it again. So I think it's this safe environment, try different things, have really good role models. And this is why, you know, when people say to me, oh, look, you know, I'm thinking of leaving my career of 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, and I'm like, do it. Go work somewhere else. You know, it's good to have these experiences. In this day and age, three years somewhere is a long time. <laughs> I know. You're right about so I think All of this, you know, helps to train some of these skills, which you can't necessarily get from a book. You know, that's listening, yeah. empathy, judgment, decision-making. Yeah. All right. So now I want to talk about you for a minute. And, uh, well, we're talking about you through this whole podcast but I'm going to ask you a question. How do you, and what could, you know, you want to share with people or how do you keep yourself, you know, fresh, invigorated on, I mean, as a a president, now you, you travel a lot. I just spent a month in Southeast Asia and couldn't even connect with you because of how your travel schedule was. We missed each other and um, you're traveling, you're working really hard and you got to be like on every day show up and be the best you can be so what is it that you may practice that you know you do personally just to keep you being your best oh so many things but you know it's just the school of hard knocks michelle Hmm. you know just over the years i think you hone what works for you um what i will say i'm doing less travel uh, post-COVID than ever in my career. So just to, to put this in perspective, I had a, um, you know, a, a global role uh, based in New York with a large, one of the top 10 insurers. And it's the dream job. I loved it. You know, I'm having my, I don't know if you, you remember Mary Tyler Moore, but remember she'd skip down and yes. she'd throw it. Oh, yeah. You know, I was having my my moments of that on Wall Street and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a kid from the bush, you know, and I'm sure I worked in London in different places, but here I am, I'm in New York. Wow. One problem, a three-year-old. So I couldn't work the way that I used to work, right, because I had all these other priorities and, you know, my heart was just torn. So in the year... The year that I was in New York, I think I travelled 180 days outside of uh, Manhattan. Mm. We know this because we have to file tax returns, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The US system, right? And um, 180 days, I think there's only 220 workable days, right? <laughs> and I hardly saw my little boy. And, you know, he came to me late. Um, I was an older mother and um, I think they term you geriatric. Um, when you yes, yes I, I would hardly no oh you're in the geriatric category excellent okay so um yeah so you know he came to me late and I thought well why am I doing this and you know I can't I can't 
be all things to all people. So I think sometimes you have to stay, take a step back. And that's why I returned back to Asia from, you know, what would argue have been my career dream job. So I think some things for me that, you know, stand true, know what your priorities are. And like, look, I have to tell you, I work with and I have worked with some fabulous men and women, mm-hmm. um, great people who, you know, have, have taught me new levels of efficiency, have taught me how to juggle. But at the end of the day, you have to learn one skill, which is saying no. And it's all about how you say no. So, you know, you, for example, you, you come to Asia and we didn't get to meet in person, which was, you know, such a shock, but you met Anna, Anna Icefield. I did, and he was so great. It was That's really it. great. Yeah. So you broaden the networks, you know, you right. don't make it about yourself. And I think that's what's important in leadership. You know, yeah. I know that I've got the best team in Asia and at any one time, um, any one of them could stand in for me on a major issue. And you have to trust, you know, so I think it becomes not, it's not a solo journey. Uh, But, you know, look, in my personal life, work is a really big part of that. And, you know, recently, you know, my mother passed away last year, actually, of COVID complications, Mm. which was just so, so, you know, um, so sad for all of us, because she lived with us, you know, she's 89. And we're just so sad, because she just didn't make it to 90, you know, and so fit and well, otherwise but such a big part of our life. And, you know, what I had to really reflect on after that is how the fragility of life, right, Mm. you know, and how it's really important to get the balance right. So how do you do that? You know, be very clear on what your goals are. We've all got responsibilities. But, you know, I think you play to win where you choose to play. Yeah. Ah, Okay. That's, again, very well said. Thank you. Um, okay, I want to ask you about this will be kind of fun life in Southeast Asia. And you know, what is it? It's very different culturally from where you grew up from where I grew up. Um, and you've had a lot of amazing experiences across the world. So what is it that um, are some of the things you've learned about how people think, how they live, you know, their lives, just some interesting philosophies and things that maybe you've learned from that you'd say, oh my God, I love that. Maybe that's, you know, that's now part of my life and other things, maybe you're like, run, Forrest, run, Forrest Gump, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But anyway, I would love for you to share some stories there um, about your experience in, in the working with, or working with and living among yeah. people in Southeast Asia. Well, I think what attracted me to Asia was the diversity, right? Yeah. So- diversity of culture of people um of food of climate you know yeah uh, Singapore's hot and humid um extremely organized uh you know it's the Switzerland of Asia right mm-hmm. um the DC of you know Washington DC of um the the US right and then you can go to Japan you know and it's it's seasons and there's snow and you know it's just totally different, the culture, you know, so you, you can understand there's such extremes. So so that that appealed to me. But I think really what attracted me as a woman here was the fact that there's so many women in business. So, you know, when I started, most finance managers and, you know, accountants, et cetera, were women because the majority of finance graduates were women. Uh, so 
you know, when you have a lot of professional women in an environment, um, you have to question why that is. One is uh, there's a lot of available childcare here. And how I grew up in Australia, my mother was a traditional stay-at-home mum on the farm, right? So she worked, you know, extremely hard, you know, in a number of different roles, but they were not um, career roles, you know? So she was an at-home worker, right? Uh, so I had, you know, very different childhood and different role models from women. So I meet all these women when I come up here in my 20s and I'm thinking, wow, this is great. So yeah. I think that really shaped my thinking. And, you know, I, I know now as, you know, we've become more senior together and the water rises, you know, yeah. there's loads. I have CEO lunches with other females, probably more so than I do in, in other markets. So, you know, I really, I really, that's been really attractive to me. And, you know, for me in Singapore, it's extremely safe. So, you mm. know, um, here you could leave your, I'm sure people who have travelled here know this, but you can leave your cell phone or your purse on a table and it's going to be there in an hour's time and everything will be as it was. Or it will be handed in, in yep. a taxi or whatever, and it'll come back to you. Um, because there's zero tolerance for anything that's antisocial here. Mm-hmm. So, you know... I, I like that because in my world, if you don't go looking for trouble, you're not going to find it, right, and it won't find right. you. So I enjoy the freedom that comes with that. Um, so, so for me, Asia has been very attractive and the career opportunities have been great for me here. But, you know, I think there's, there's absolutely the, the piece where you will only excel here if you can deal with ambiguity, mm-hmm. if you can be patient, um, if you can be kind, because you can't have everything the way that you would like it, then stay home, right? So it's about adapting and some of the skills that we've talked about, the empathy and the understanding of there's different, many different ways to achieve a goal and you have to listen to other people's ideas. Hmm. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I love your comment about how zero tolerance provides more freedom. And mm-hmm. I I would agree with that. It was very interesting because when we, it's it's interesting you noted that uh, you made the comment about the cell phone. So we went to dinner our very first night. Uh, Brian, we were at the National University of Singapore. And I think I told you our communication practice is based out of Singapore. So we were meeting those people for the first time face-to-face as well, because we started all of that during COVID. Uh, but anyway, so we're there with them. They're like, oh, yeah, just leave your stuff on the table. Like we had literally just arrived. We got our backpacks. We got our passports. Very Nobody will touch them. You're fine. And that's just so freeing, right? And it felt really, really good. Yeah, I have And, to. you know, we, we love nice things in Asia. You know, we love nice purses and designer this. And, you know, we've yeah. got our sparkles on and things and um then we travel to other other countries right and we're like okay get the plain pearl studs out or you know simple things take off let's get our apple watch out you know and we're just conscious that you know you have to be more careful and you can't have your purse in the car next to you when you're driving you know so in you know here where we are you know we really do live in this this little bubble the safety bubble 
and you know our kids can go out because um, there's there's zero tolerance for drugs in Singapore and, yeah. and other things like that. So it's death penalty. Um, so you know with that comes this you know security. So um, yep. my son is in for a shock when he goes to university. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right, so I want to ask you uh, to share with us. Um, just a story or two maybe from your personal journey so something that may have impacted your life shaped you know decision you know that that just something that you've done um that you could share with others and you know what the outcome of that was i you know oh there's so many stories you know there's so many stories behind i think every person there's yeah you know, so many experiences that shape us. I started this podcast. It's to you're you're like so interesting to me. All of you women are so interesting to me. Yeah. And you know, that's you know, one of the stories I would have for you is I often think about what I want, you know, my future to look like. Mm -hmm. And it's not about that I've achieved this or I've done this or I have this. I increasingly feel it is about the close friendships we make along the way. And I think to myself, if I can, you know, have five to 10 close relationships, um, I'll be really, really fortunate, you know, but you have to work on developing those over time. And, you know, even I have, you know, even former boyfriends, you know, long-term relationships, we're still friends. Uh, because I say, you know, we met each other in our 20s. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to meet someone that you're going to know for, you know, 30-odd years again? It's unlikely. So I suggest we, we stay and work on being friends because you have so many shared experiences together. Likewise at work, I, you know, and my clients, you know, I like to build long-term and they become friendships because, you know, the hallmarks of being a good friend are that you're reliable that, you know, um, you you work honestly with someone, you know, and you have your own list of what's important to you in a, in a friendship, so do I, right? But, you know, over time, I think if you can connect and you can collect these relationships and work on them and build on them, that for me is what I look for in my future. So, you know, I love the fact that I can go to London and I've got someone I worked with, you know, 25 years ago now. Yeah. And, you know, we see each other every time I turn up. She's not in my industry, but she's, you know, she's she's amazing. So I have, you know, friends like that, you know, someone in New York who's in a super powerful role, right, you know, so proud of her. And, you know, I can connect with her and, you know, we've had all these shared journeys in periods of our careers together where there's been a client or a colleague and then, you know, where I've worked through organisations, I have people that, you know, then I've hired again when I've had increasingly larger roles and could bring them, bring them into the business. So I think that, you know, for me, that's one story. I think, you know, find what's important to you and make work work for you. You know, I think in, in, when I first started, I saw work and personal as very separate. Mm -hmm. And I think now as I'm getting, um, you know, certainly towards the mid-stage of career, um, best yet to come, I'm sure, 
is that I see the intersection more more fully. So I think that's one thing, you know, an insight for me. Um, you know, the road best travelled is the road where you're not alone. So I think that's a um, that's that's important for me. Um, yeah, so many look, so many stories, um, but I think that sticks out. That sticks out, yeah. Michelle. Yep. Um, I want to ask you about reinventing the claims experience. So you are known as a trailblazer. You are known as an inventor. You are known as someone that knows how to reinvent. Um, and so I'd love to just talk about, you know, what do you do in there? What, what's your approach? How do you bring the organization along? And what would be really great would be if you could leave us with maybe three things, pieces of advice for people that are looking at reinventing something within their business. Mm. Yeah, re reinvention is tough because it involves absolutely reviewing how and what you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, change for anyone can be painful, right? You don't change you know, what is it? Status quo is a great place to, to be, right? Um, and a lot of people just want to come to work and do what they've got to do, you know, have the connections, just do enough, et cetera. And I get that. I totally, I, I totally get that. Um, what I want to be known for is building sustainable businesses. And the pace of change is so mm. great now. Uh, you know, technology, customers' demands, um, the way we work and think, the tools that are available. And for us as humans and individuals to be valuable, we have to keep thinking, how can I do better or different or more? Mm -hmm. And it may not be different, it may not be better, but maybe I have to change a few things. So the first thing, you know, and it's the obvious thing, listen to what your customers are telling you. The next thing is listen to what your people are telling you. Because the best improvements often come from the kitchen where the creation is being made, right? So, you know, ask the people for their input um, and be open to it, right? But, you know, look, the more senior you become, it's all about the support you get from the board. It's all about the, you know, the being um, willing to take insight and consideration from, you know, other stakeholders as well. And I think, you know, for me, I've worked with, I think, some of the best CEOs um, mm. in this industry in my career. And I've had, that's been my pleasure. And, you know, it's been my opportunity to learn from them. So I've had good role models. And sometimes I think, hmm, what would so-and-so do? How would they handle this? You know, and that that really stands me in good stead because I think, you know, there's no book that teaches you this, you know, certainly, and I think it really is just, you know, um, being open to listening to what people say would make an improvement, knowing what customers value, and then the solution comes, comes in the mix. But the one thing I know that makes the difference is the discretional effort. If mm -hmm. you can into the X factor of the people that work with you, that's where the difference is. And that's hard to do because that's all about getting to people's motivations and making sure that they're enjoying work, but at the same time they're enjoying work because they're being productive. And that's a hard balance to, to get. So I try my best on that. Still working on it. 
Okay, but that's a great goal to have. So I want to ask you about, I'm going to ask your opinion about something else. Uh, It's all about AI right now. It's all about ChatGPT. So you and I, we grew up with the same things. We're, you know, from the same era. We we remember the internet coming on and it was like, ooh, all about that. Social media, holy mackerel. I got two daughters that I was freaking out about, right, as they're on Facebook and then Instagram and then there's Snapchat. Now there's TikTok. I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's a plethora of things out there I don't even know about, right? Um, and my daughter, I, um, I listen to, um, I follow a guy who's uh, part of, it's called the Center for Humane Technology. And uh, the, um, they talk about just the pros, cons, but it's all data fact-based of of this technology so what we know is that you know it was all about for the people providing the you know through the social media and the the software they were providing it was all about for marketing professionals and how they were going to make money was that race for attention Mm. and now what we're hearing about which is a little frightening to me with ChatGPT, and I'm bringing up that one, right? With AI, I won't pick on ChatGPT, but that's the one that's on everybody's, you know, mind today. Um, it's tapping more into emotions, and what what I'm hearing is that now it's it's about the race to grab intimacy and emotion of others and be the first one there. And when we think about you know, the fallout of just the race for attention and things like, you know, that it's, it's fact-based, right? The anxiety created in young people, my daughter, oh my goodness. I remember one of my daughters, when she was in high school, she would be like, why am I not invited to that? And look at what all these people are doing and what is wrong with me? And, you know, and then it's like, who looks better than whom? And then I actually learned from my niece, she's like, uh, said i'm like what is with all these instagram poses and she said oh aunt michelle facebook is for family and for being real instagram is all about the the life that no one lives the fantasy moment right and i'm like what you guys like really do this oh yeah we really do it and it's the race to see who can look better who can be at the best place so i i would love to hear your take on like this whole race to intimacy and emotion and what what you think about that what we think that means for our youth um i think that we are at a point in our life it's kind of like the race to um for attention i'm not on instagram or facebook or any of those things i'm on linkedin just so i can send you a message you know i mean that's it and uh you know so you could argue that but that's the only one but i i'd love to hear what you have to what maybe you've experienced and what you think about that i think too much of anything is always going to be a problem Mm -hmm. so i like to try everything i always have you know so you know i love social media because it's great for people like me because that's how i keep up with people's lives in different in different countries in different cities from you know um just different parts of my life right And I love that you can tap into these, you know, community things. I also find great inspiration, like 
you know, there's a lot of things, you know, people do TikToks and they do things about what they've bought or trends or whatever. So, you know, you can, when I first experienced TikTok, it was an hour and a half of my life, I'll never get back again. You know, <laughs> you've got to pull yourself out of it, right? And this is, <laughs> you know, you've got to pull yourself out of it. And I think there's the amount of discipline involved in that. But, you know, I find myself watching that instead of scrolling through that instead of, you know, watching Netflix, which yeah. used to be, you know, which used to be my my poison of, you know, brain poison of choice earlier, right? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, too much of anything is not a good thing. And, you know, what I try to combat that with is I think it's good to know. I think you need to know, you need to know to navigate um, you know, you look at the difference in elderly people when they can use Facebook and they can connect and they can use a cell phone. You know, their lives are a lot richer, right, because it's how people connect now so they can connect with grandkids or with, with each other. So I think like anything, being inquisitive is great and we should encourage that. But, you know, when's enough enough? You know, and it's about these self-boundaries. And the one thing that we're never going to be able to replace for ourselves is movement and nature. So, you know, I'm not the, look at me, I'm not the most sporty person, right? But <laughs> I love getting out for a walk with my dogs. I've got three toy poodles, two cats and some fish. But, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> Sue's got nothing on my house. But, you know, I love getting out for a walk. And it's not that, you know, I'm doing, you know, it's not so much how many steps and all of that. It's just the mental space and the release, you know, and I'm always saying to my son, can you not put your ear pods in or your, you know, your, your max headsets and all of that? Yeah. Just can you just listen to the sounds around you? You know, and also if you're in another country that's not Singapore and not a safe, you're probably going to get mugged. <laughs> um, so, you know, can you, can you just listen to what's going on in your surroundings? So I think, you know, there's an enormous amount of discipline like anything, you know, not to overeat, not to get, you know, uh, too into the socials. But I think try everything. I mean, at the end of the day, life is a is a buffet, right? So you can you have the opportunity to pick and choose, but it's when to kind of check yourself, right? Um, and this is the challenge, I think, for young people. And the way that people learn has changed so much. And then, you know, how they work in the workplace, the norms are so different. So I think we're still finding our way and we've got to be flexible in doing it. I think that's great. And actually, you taught me something. Life is a buffet. So I guess you just don't want to do the, like, all you can eat and overeat buffet. Just kind of balance it out. Don't, don't go to the first. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, so here's the last question that I love to ask everyone on my podcast because it's always a fun one, which is, you know, imagine that you have all of your wisdom and knowledge that you have amassed today. But let's yeah. say you had that in your 20s. So this is a little bit different than if you could talk to your younger self, but it's like you are 25 and you have everything you have in your head right now, right? All that knowledge. And you know what what that school of knocks looks like, the hard knocks look like. Um, is there anything you do differently, or you know what would you? How do you think something might have been different in your life, or maybe nothing? Uh, look, there's many things. You know, <laughs> you 
for you here is many battle scars, you know, like they just don't, they don't, all of them don't show, right? And I think that's any woman, but you can't go back. You can't, can't live in the past. You know, you've got to move forward. And I think some things, you know, what would I, I tell my younger self? And, you know, um, I try to do this actually with, with my son who's 14, right? I say, just try things, you know, so what if you're not good at it? Just try, have the experience. Um, for me, I would say take things less seriously, but then if I did, I wouldn't be where I am today, you know. So so it's a bit of a chicken and egg argument, isn't it, right? Yeah. But look, I think overall have more trust in yourself so that you can be more fearless. I think that hmm. is absolutely number one. Another thing I would say is don't be afraid of change. Um, there will always be another chapter in the Chronicles of Veronica. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's there's endings for a reason, but there's also beginnings, right? So I think that's another thing. So not to be afraid of change. Um, and look, wherever you go, find, you know, find your friends, find your tribe, surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, you know, if you don't click, maybe that's for a reason, you know, and, yeah. you know, find the people that, you know, you want to be having a glass of wine with or a, be in the cheese room with when you're, you know, yeah. the, at, the, at one of the latter chapters in life. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, and, and your response is something that anyone at any stage of life can adapt to. Um, look, I just tried a new thing, right? I went diving. I became scuba certified this past year. That was one thing I did in Southeast Asia. I thought, I'm not going to go all the way to Southeast Asia to find out that Bali is one of the top diving places in the world and then not do it, right? But my younger self might, might not have done that. So anyway, it's well that's said. It's so. great. You know, you're yeah. Trying different things, new skills. Uh, yeah, social media will be next for you, you wait. I know you got me <laughs> thinking about that. You actually made me think about I'm going, hmm, hmm, hmm. Anyway, huh. okay, yeah. so stay tuned on that one. So I want to thank you so much, Veronica, for being here with me today. It was really fun. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you'll come back. You've got great stories, great great things to talk um, to everyone about. And thank you again and uh, enjoy your day. I will. Thank you, Michelle. Absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. And uh, enjoy New York. Thank and you. And family. Thanks so much. When